Hey, everybody. Welcome to Local Business Owners Podcast, presented by Bank of Central Florida. We hope that you find inspiration in the success and the obstacles of local business owners and leaders on the show. You can listen to it on Apple, Spotify, or watch it on YouTube. All right, let's get to it. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Local Business Owners. We are here today with Wesley Beck, uh, and we are going to jump into questions around his experience, how you can relate to uh, his, his experience being a local business owner in several different entities. So, Wesley, do you mind sharing what are what is a business that you work with or as an entrepreneur, some of the projects that you are an entrepreneur in? Yeah, so the, what most people kind of hear my name talked about is 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 around uh, the development that I've done with Aspire Properties, and 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 Aspire Properties is really just our management company for the different real estate that we own. But from a development perspective, you know, I was heavily involved in Catapult. Uh, we did the parking garage downtown, which some people like and some don't. Heritage Plaza South. Uh, we own Heritage Plaza, Bank of America. We own uh, a few different large industrial developments around town where we're currently uh, constructing different buildings, mostly very large warehouses. So yes. it's kind of a, it's an interesting little business, but uh, I'm also associated with Bank Central Florida. Um, and we have a packaging company that, uh, that uh, manufactures, uh, we, we do N95 face mask and we do contact lens uh, packaging. We do fulfillment for a lot of companies. We employ about 250 people here in town. Wow. So. Wow. So needless to say, you are very much an entrepreneur. You have your hands in many areas in different industries, mostly development and manufacturing. Would yes. that be correct to mm-hmm. say? Yeah. Okay, okay great. Uh, what is, we're, we're going to start with a timeline, how your story started. So, or a little bit in your teenage years. So you sure. first started in a construction, correct? Yeah, when I was 16, I started with a, a local contractor. He was a one-man shop, and uh, I did that for six years through high school and, and college. Went to Florida Southern here and and, and worked for Rob in, in, in the housing business and uh, realized that very quickly I needed to get out of that business. I was not going to make that a career. Yeah, so it's funny. That was construction. So it. I'm back in it. I'm full yeah. circle. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. Full circle, huh? Yeah. So what did you learn? What do you believe you learned through just your first career experience or your first work experience, actually, not necessarily career? Yeah, I would say a bunch of takeaways. But my number one takeaway was watching individuals who are really good at what they did and watch them fail. Yeah. You know, Central Florida, Lakeland, especially in the mid 80s was... I tell people if they could have rolled up the sidewalks and, and locked them away, I think they would have. You know, I remember my friends. I always wanted to be an engineer, and and my parents' friends uh, would sit at the Woodlake Country Club, and and because they didn't have jobs, so Davy McKee shut down. I think a thousand engineers got laid off. You know, in this wow. area, and between the phosphate mines and the freezes and citrus, it really hurt this community. And and I was right there in the epicenter with 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 Rob Pierce and. And, and, and saw that firsthand, you know, saw how hard it was for a lot of these people who are really good at their job. They just didn't, they couldn't, they couldn't make it because of various factors. Some was their own fault. Some was the economy. Just that was, that was a wonderful teaching experience for the rest of my life, which has been pretty yeah. much on my own. Yeah. 
Well, and as an entrepreneur, you have to get comfortable with the idea of failing as well. Because if you Absolutely. jump into all of your ideas and think they're all going to work, you are in for a rude awakening, right? Uh, you might find it. You know, when I when I talk to a lot of the catapult entrepreneurs, I always ask if, I, if I've got a group, I always ask, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? And there's usually somebody at the table who will say, well, I want to work less and make more money. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you probably need to stop right now because that's... That's not the life of, of entrepreneurs, for sure. Yeah, you're working around the clock a lot of times, trying to start things. And and you get paid last. That's the part that a lot of people don't understand. You know, you, you've not really been an entrepreneur till you've made payroll on Friday. And sometimes that's not always easy to do. And, and, and so the entrepreneur typically is going to, has got to get paid last. And, and that's what a lot of people don't understand. Yeah, it's a lot of sacrifice is what it sounds like. A lot of rewards. But, you know, a lot of sacrifices. Yeah. Risky business, huh? <laughs> so Great you, movie, by the way. Yeah, I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm well aware. I'm well aware. Um, okay. So you started in construction, got out of it, went to college. And then what did you pursue in college first? Yeah. So the second lesson I think I really resonated with me from, from those years working for Rob was, was just the whole accounting side of it. Yeah. Numbers always came easy to me, but I, but I saw people, there was one guy in particular that just didn't pay his taxes and, and the IRS would come and he was a concrete guy and they'd come and take a cement mixer. I'm like, well, how's a concrete guy supposed to ever pay you back if they take a cement mixer? And so yeah. I decided I was going to go study accounting hmm. and uh, I never felt like I was an accountant um, and I actually hated it. But I did two years of public accounting with uh, Ernst and Young and uh, Charlotte. And I, I tell young people all the time, if you can stomach that, it's the best training on the planet. I would repeat it a million times over, even though I hated every minute of it. Wow. Yeah. What did, so you learned a lot about finances and budgets and just how to make decisions around finances. Is that, can you be a little bit more detailed into what that was? That yeah, I, I think, you know, it's important to understand the whole debits and credits and everything has to tie all that stuff. That's that's mm -hmm. what they teach you as an auditor. Mm -hmm. But I think the the biggest thing that helped me going forward with my entrepreneurial career is how to read a financial statement. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people look at a financial statement and it's just a bunch of numbers. So when I look at a financial statement, it's telling me a story. Yeah. And that story, you know, I can I can determine you know, do I want to invest in that? Mm -hmm. Do they have cash flow issues? Mm -hmm. You know, what are they hiding? Where, where's the, the, you know, where's that going to come around the corner and bite them? Yeah. And, and, and that's the number one thing I learned. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, with Paul, we were doing a presentation and he gave me pretty much all numbers. And, and Paul is the CEO of Bank of Central Florida, which is where I work as the marketing manager. And I was doing a presentation for him. And he gave me all numbers on this presentation. And I was like, Paul, what story does this tell? I need to understand yeah. how I apply visuals to this. And when he explained what the numbers meant, it, it meant so much more when we were going to present it to the shareholders. And uh, it, numbers definitely tell a story. And, and to your point, it's, that's, I think, great advice because that's something I'm even learning in my career as how do the numbers continue to translate into what's going on here. The numbers are big. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Paul's got a great line that, that I've told a million times over. Um, 
the number one failure rate for entrepreneurs is the year after their best year ever. Wow. Which is a shocking thing to yeah. think about. And why is that? Well, because you have a great year, you make money, all right? But you don't realize that out of that money that you make, you now have to pay taxes on that money mm. and prepay taxes for the next year. And all of the top of that, you're trying to grow your business. Yeah. You know, so so the first um, entrepreneurial business that, that I was involved in, um, we never as owners took out any money other than just a basic salary up until the year before we sold because the business was in what I'll call hyper growth, right. which to me, hyper growth is anything more than five or 6%. You know, it's very difficult for a business to fund itself with its cash flow when you're growing more than that small amount, unless you're just, software is a good mm -hmm. example. Software doesn't need a lot of capital in order to be able to grow. Manufacturing needs tremendous amounts of capital every year. And so when you're making, even though you're making money, your cash flow is going to pay your taxes to try to buy more equipment and, yes. and to prepay your taxes for next year. And all of a sudden you don't have anything left. And, and that's, that kind of falls in with what Paul's statement is. And it's absolutely true. Yeah. So I'm hearing you really need to be more conservative after the first year and not play into that excitement and really look long-term and less short-term in that, in those moments of saying we've done really well but really making sure that what decisions you've got to make in the long term or what you need to be accountable for in essence of paying taxes and preparing for reinvesting in the company so that it can continue to exponentially grow. It all comes down to cash flow. Cash is king. And, you know, you, you hear that, you don't realize it when you're most entrepreneurs don't understand that. And that at the end of the day, cash is king. And you have to understand that. You have to understand how your business uses cash. You mm -hmm. have to understand how you personally use cash. And you have to understand how to invest cash in the future so that you can grow your business. Yeah. As a, as a marketing manager, when I was talking to one of our senior commercial relationship managers, that was the biggest advice he said he consults business owners on is truly what's your cash flow like? Because yeah. that'll determine whether you receive a loan or um, how you set up your bank account and its operating account uh, and, and many other things that it affects. No, no doubt. And that's, and that's what I usually talk to catapult entrepreneurs about is cash. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Good stuff. Okay. So you were in college. You went to get um, education in accounting, which was very good for a foundation understanding of business. And then your next step was from accounting to... Well, I wanted to get married. There was a girl involved. <laughs> She's still my girl. So, you know, um, Aww, so we got... So good. So we wanted to get married. She was at NC State and I was in Charlotte and I wanted to go back to grad school. So I went back to Florida State, okay. um, got, my, got my MBA, and then we got married and moved to Atlanta. Moved so, to Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. And her, Maya. Maya. Uh, mm -hmm. Maya Beck. Yeah. Okay. And so through that marriage, you met her father, your father-in-law. Yeah, I, I actually met them. Um, we started dating when I was in college. And okay. so I'd, I'd met them through the years that uh, I had um, worked in construction. Okay. So during that time, you had started building a relationship with him. And so yeah. meanwhile, you ended up 
getting a job after college with another company, but he had his eyes on. Yeah. After grad school, I went, uh, I wanted to go, I decided that I didn't want to go to wall street. Like a lot of people, you Mm -hmm. know, that were doing what, what I was doing. I I wanted wanted to make things. You know, I I enjoyed that part of the construction piece and I wanted to make things with my life. And so I wanted to go into manufacturing and my father-in-law had asked me if I wanted to come join him. And, um, he, he had a business with some other partners and, and I really wasn't interested in that. And I told him that I said, I appreciated the opportunity, but to me, that wasn't really an opportunity that I wanted to take. Um, and so we moved to Atlanta and, um, I was working in manufacturing, got a job with a company called Sunoco products. And he called me and said, Hey, I, I, I need to do something with my existing partnership. And, um, he said, so I'm not asking you to come join that. What I'm asking you to do is come down and help me determine what to do with that partnership. But either way, we're going to start something new. And I'd like you to be part of that. And yeah. I said, that I can do. And how old were you at the time? Um, 25. Yeah. I was a kid. Wow. Yeah. yeah I was a kid. <laughs> 25 and you were getting to, you were yeah, going to get to start yeah. something now. What I didn't, what I do realize now, and I didn't realize it at the time was everything I had done. I never planned to be an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. but everything I had done in my life up to that point led me to being an entrepreneur. Yeah. So I was right where I needed to be in order to do what I was getting ready to do. I just didn't know it. Yeah. That's how it works. I think that's what's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All your experiences leading up to being prepared to take a step into being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. So you had um, a job and your father-in-law had asked you to be a part of something new. What skill sets did he see at this time from your experience that he wanted to use within this new company? So he, can you give a little bit of um, detail about your father-in-law being, he was in food flavoring? He he was a, he was an organic PhD, organic chemist. And he threw no planning of his own ended up uh, with a background to be able to be an entrepreneur that he, he didn't realize it. And he ended up getting the job he had always wanted, which was working for a big national global company in New York as the head of the department. And he moved up there and within six months, I never forget, he was still building his house. Um, the um, CEO mm-hmm. role changed. Mm-hmm. And the new CEO came in and said, we don't need this department. So you're fired. Yeah. And uh, had two kids and uh, building a house. And he said at that moment, he decided he was never going to work for anybody else again. And he had to figure out how to do that. So he took another job in Michigan for a couple of years. And then he and a couple other people came back to Florida, came back to Lake, came to Lakeland, Mm -hmm. new to Lakeland. And that's kind of when I met Maya when they had started that first company. And uh, sold that and moved on to something different. Yeah. So he was already had done his first business, sold it to, and, and moved on to something different. When I came in and we started the next one, which was a company called Florida Flavors. Florida Flavors. Okay. And so can you explain how you jumped into Florida Flavors, what your role was and how maybe some of the lessons along the way that you learned to stay in your role? Yeah. So my father-in-law was, was, was a scientist. He was not a business person. Um, he hated to spend money. He was, he was, he was so frugal. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but he realized that money had to be spent to start something. And so he looked to me as someone he could trust with a business background. And so he was really good at pointing me in a direction and then say, go do this. And so it was two of us to start with. And then you hire somebody to work in the office and then you hire somebody to work in the plant. And then it just goes from there. Um, but I really was in charge of the business side of it. And, and that yin and yang for that kind of business. I mean, it was a manufacturing business, but it was a technical business. Um, and you have to have the, the technical side, but you also have to have the business side. And, and they're both very important in their own different ways. And the, the beauty about my father-in-law was he was never one to want to come over and dictate. I mean, he realized what he was good at and what he wasn't good at. Yeah. And I realized what I was good at and not good at. I was never going to be a scientist. Yes. You know, and so so that marriage and then you add into it a few years later, my brother-in-law, who's a, a Ph.D. physicist, came into it. That that marriage of technical and business, everybody staying in their own lanes was was really a powerful combination. Yeah, I think one thing I hear from entrepreneurs is that balance between having to feel like they do everything. They're the jack of all trades, especially when you're starting your own company. And then you start having to grow your business and realizing what you're good at and what you're not good at. So over time, as you did grow and you started hiring more people, was that difficult for you to let go when new people joined? Did that family dynamic change? No, not really. I mean, I, you know, I think I, I am very good at hiring people, very good people to do the job that they're paid for and then giving them the tools that they need and, and understanding that sometimes my job is to put roadblocks on the side, you know, but. But at the end of the day, you hire somebody for a job, you build, you build things around them. You really rely on them to do what they're, what they're trained to do. And, and my job is not to second guess to scientists. My job is to work alongside with them to help them figure out what the customer is telling them so that they can craft something that meets those customer needs. And in science, especially for what we did, the technical answer was always not the right answer. You know, we dealt with clients all over the world. They had different ways of viewing things. It wasn't necessarily the science that, that, would, that would rule out. It was what they wanted. And, and, and so sometimes you needed that, that mix of a little bit of common sense business and science in order to come together to come up with a product that they would, they would want. Yeah, it really sounds like your trust in relationships was critical for growth. I mean, you had to trust the people that you hired with what you gave them to do. and give them the benefit of the doubt that they would figure it out or know what they're doing. If I'm correct. And then, 100%. yeah, <laughs> I have no, I have, I mean, I've been on a bank board for 15 years now. I have no idea how to run a bank. <laughs> I, I want no part of running a bank, but you know, yeah. but I, I've got somebody damn good that's in there doing it. So, you know, that's right. We're uh, a billion, we're over a billion dollar in assets. Yeah, so, I mean, now. I think that that's, that's, I, I have no problem bringing yeah. in the right people to do the right job and trusting what they tell me. Yeah, I, I think trust is a really key thing when you're trying to grow and show people that you trust them. Um, there's many times where I've heard uh, the feeling of being restricted and not being able to do what you're what you what you need to do, or having the lack of resources to be able to do what you need to do in order to be able to grow. And I do think that there are local business owners who. Uh, deal with the lack of resources or 
um, even knowing how to navigate, how to get the right people in the right role um, with someone that they trust, especially now with labor shortages. That's a very big struggle companies are facing. And you don't, I mean, most entrepreneurs don't feel everything that they need with the right person. I mean, that just doesn't work that way. Yeah. There's a little bit of always. It sounds wonderful, but it doesn't, you know, so you end up wearing many hats. You end up doing things kind of not the way that they should be done, but that's the way they have to be done. And, you know, that those things grow. Um, I will also say, you know, as, as someone that has lots of people, you know, I'm involved with, trust goes both ways. And so when you lose that trust, it's over, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm very strong. I'll give you a lot of rope. I I trust you implicitly, but once you prove to me that you can't be trusted, then our our relationship is over. And I think that's, it's, it's a strong thing, but it's a strong thing on both sides. Oh yeah. And and I would say, I mean, do you believe that there is somewhat, would you try to put this the right way? Um, do you believe that there's moments of grace in the, some instances, and the, but it's the repetitive behavior that leads to not trusting? Yeah, I mean, I, not, not trusting is lying. Yeah. It's one thing to mess up. Yeah. You fess up about it. Let's talk about how to not do it again and go, that's, that's a learning opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I wanted to know. Just a bold face face lie. You're telling me something that you, you know, you're not telling me something that you did. That's, that's right. Those are hard to come back from. Right. Right. Thank you for explaining a little bit more detail because it, that can be very vague and understanding where it's like, oh, you messed up, but it's different between messing up versus, (laughs) yeah. We all need a little bit of, (laughs) a little bit of wiggle room to be able to come back. Um, so that thank you very much. So you went for, to Florida Flavors, and what was that? What was that in between? So you you grew the company, you traveled a lot, you built relationships. Uh, I do know that one other issue or problem a lot of local business owners face is where do they start getting those connections? But from our pre-interview discussion, it sounded like you had most of those connections because your father-in-law had a lot of those connections from the business he had been in. Yeah. I mean, our business, we had no customers in Lakeland. So it was a totally outside of Lakeland business. It just happened to be, we located in Lakeland because Florida is, was at that point, the citrus capital of the world. Um, you know, it, it's still a lot of citrus comes through here, but, but it's not, not nearly what it was um, back when we started. Um, but yeah, no, we had a lot of the contacts, mm-hmm. um, but new business. So we, we, Travel the world, you know, making sales calls and trying to convince people that, you know, you should use us just like any company does. Yeah. The hard part for me was, you know, being a young family, you know, having kids and stuff like that, traveling the world, you know, did it for nine years. Well, actually 12 years after we sold, I stayed and did it some more. That's hard. You know, yeah. I mean, I'd go to a lot of glamorous places and I would tell my friends, it's just work in a different city. And unfortunately, I'm spending a lot of time on an airplane to get there. Yeah, I was speaking to somebody the other day about how I I think our culture has changed somewhat on that uh, between deciding what you sacrifice. And many, many uh, folks had to sacrifice the time with families in their early careers to be able to build that. And now you hear so much about uh, life work balance and mental health and being able to (laughs) 
balance uh, different areas of your life and prioritize. And it's it's interesting to see some of that dynamic change. But I am personally a hard believer that there's sacrifice in anything that you say yes to is no to something else. Yeah, for sure. I mean, remember, so you won't remember, you're too young. But, <laughs> so we didn't have cell phones and we had fax machines when, I, when we yeah. started. So you weren't I'd, FaceTiming your family, huh? No, I'd come in in the morning and I'd get my fax, fax from Japan, you know, yeah. and, and have all day to respond to it because they were sleeping. Um, you know, so, <laughs> so the world <laughs> we live in dynamic. today, you know, with Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams and all that, I mean, we, we didn't have that. It was, yeah. you had to go physically touch people, shake their hands, get them to know you. It was, it was very different than what we have today. Do you believe that's still an important piece in growing business is seeing 100%. people face to face? I and... tell my kids, put the phone down and go talk to someone. <laughs> you know, there's just nothing like face to face conversation. Yes. What was the biggest takeaway that you have from working with Florida Flavors? And then I want to talk about you selling and, and getting into the next step of your career. Employees, you know, you end up with. I mean, for us, we're your family, you know, so you end up with a, a bunch of families and then you decide you're going to sell the business. And, and so how are all those people impacted yeah. and, and what's, what's their relationship with the new company and, and how can I try to make sure that they all have a place and, 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 you know, an opportunity. And, um, so that, that's probably, you know, when you look at the end of it, you know, you think about something, you, you build something based upon people. You know, and then not everybody's an owner. And then you have you decide because it seems like the right decision at the moment to make a transition. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you do with those people? How do you how do you let them know they're still family and, and you know, yeah. treat them the same and give them the opportunity? And I really think that, you know, for us, every one of those people got an opportunity. Not every one of those people took the opportunity. Right. But every one of them got an opportunity to go work for somebody bigger with a lot, lot more challenges and, and, and places that they could go personally and professionally, you know, that, uh, you know, was what really we were able to work through and, and get comfortable with it. Yeah. That's a, a huge responsibility on a local business owner's shoulders or just a, even a corporate leader is the decisions that you make that ultimately impact everybody that works for you. It's uh, probably the biggest blessing and yet the biggest uh, <laughs> responsibility that you have and making that decision. I'm sure there's a lot taken into account uh, to be able to move forward and sell a company like Florida Flavors. Well, even to run it, but to sell it especially. Yeah. 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 So how big, can you explain a little bit so that our listeners have a context, how big was Florida Flavors at the point that you sold it? No, Florida Flavors, when we sold was, you know, it's been a long time, but I would say it was around 40 employees. Yeah. And um, the way that we did it, uh, we, we actually sold the business and nobody knew till the day that it was sold. Wow. And we had set it all up to where the new company, it was a Danish company that came in and, and they wanted to run it um, just the way it was. They wanted us to stay um, and we did stay. Um, and so basically from the employee standpoint, they just came in and filled out a new set of paperwork that morning and, uh, got a paycheck from a different person on Friday and nothing changed. Um, except that they were now part of a global billion dollar corporation, right. <laughs> which gave them plenty of opportunities to, to do different things. 
um, it was fun to watch the different transitions and, and how that impacted everybody. And, and uh, one of the employees who was probably one of the first employees of Florida Flavors, one of the primary employees of Florex Flavors, going back to my father-in-law's day, still works for me today. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome to yeah. see the relationship continue to grow and being able to yeah. do other projects with yeah. each That's, other. It's, it's, that tells you as an entrepreneur or, or as a business person, you're doing something right when you have, you know, some people stay with you for, and your family for more than 40 years. Yeah. They still like something. me. They still like me. There's something <laughs> I'm like doing. Them. There's something I'm doing right, you know, and something yeah. they're doing right for sure. Yeah. How, what was the size of the company and assets? Do you know? I don't remember, remember that. that. You know, revenue would have probably been around $20 million or something. Okay. That's um, what I was looking yeah, for. Something to, yeah. to give context of how big it had grown. Yeah. You know, and, and it wasn't like it was some behemoth. Mm-hmm. It was just very specialized in its area. You know, what most people don't realize, Lakeland, there's about five of these companies. Um, hmm. uh, I've, I've been involved in two of them. My father-in-law was involved in four of them, mm-hmm. you know, in various ways shape or form um so and but they're all still here in lakeland they're still operating the plant that i built out on Drainfield is next to the amazon airport facility um and and still running what do you flavor by the way uh we did mostly citrus and and so you don't realize but coca-cola is mostly citrus flavors interesting i'm not saying that we did coca-cola i'm just saying for context that citrus is the largest flavoring material in beverage. Wow, all I beverages, did not know whether that. it's alcoholic, carbonated, you know, orange juice, all that stuff. There's different components of it. Um, but there's a huge chemical piece of it as well. For instance, there's a company um, in in our in in this space here that supplies mm-hmm. a lot for petrochemical use mm-hmm. for fracking and things like that. So there's so there's different molecules in the citrus that are used in all different kinds of things. So it's in fragrance, flavors, but the big thing that it's known for is beverage. Yeah, I, I think that's why I'm so passionate about this podcast is because there's so many niches and you'd never know it, even just in Lakeland or in local businesses across Polk County or Central Florida. It's, that's the neatest thing about working at the bank is seeing so many different businesses we're able to support to help the community grow. And you'd never know that this kind of company needed, you know, this kind of equipment to be able to get to that next stage or this kind of company needed um, more special skill sets that are very rare. And it's, you think in your head, how did, where do you learn some of that stuff? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the flavor fragrance business is a multi-billion dollar business. Nobody knows about. Yeah. But they don't sell. There's no B2C. It's all B2B. Yeah. And so the, 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 the part that goes to the customer are the, the Coca-Colas, the Tropicanas, the, mm-hmm. the Procter & Gamble's, the Estee Lauder's, you know, all those people are mm-hmm. what sell to the customer. Yeah. But they buy from a huge flavor fragrance industry around the world. And it's a global business. Yeah, the marketing strategy or the branding strategy is a little bit different when it comes to B2B versus B2C. Absolutely. What do you? What did you see in your experience that big difference was? I've always done B2B. The The Bank is the closest I've ever really gotten to B2C. And would you say it was mainly building those relationships? I mean, you didn't go out doing a big consumer strategy about the brand of food flavors, Florida flavors, (laughs) Florida flavors. You really had to hone in on these are the people I need to talk to 
this is what I'm selling and yeah. being knowledgeable about your product, I would assume. It's uh, specialization. You know, what, what, what am I good at? Yeah. What can I compete against the others that are doing the exact same thing? And, mm -hmm. and how do I sell myself to those customers who I know buy? Yeah. You know, and so that's a very different sell than trying to blanket 350 million people in America and sell them something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've gone to Florida Flavors. Now you have sold the company, right? You still yeah. work for them. So now what is that next big uh, life decision that you were saying, you know what, I'm going to jump out of Florida flavors and this is my next step. Well, so when, when you sell, sell a company, I think you always got to try to figure out what's next. And um, I, within months, knew that I was not a permanent employee. Mm -hmm. I just had been that point on my own for a decade and, and just knew what it tasted like. I had some money in my jeans. And so I just knew that I wasn't going to be a long-term employee. So, and how old were you at this time? Um, good question. So that would have been 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. I was 26. No, I had to be about 29, 30. 29 or 30. Yeah. Okay. So you're still very, yeah, <laughs> very young. young. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm obviously not going to retire. Mm -hmm. um, had a commitment with, with, with the company to stay there. was going to fulfill that commitment. Mm -hmm. I committed that, but I knew I wasn't a long-term employee. And so kind of told them, you know, I said, guys, I'm not, I'm not here for the long term, but I'm here to do whatever you need me to do to help you transition and grow this business. And we did. Mm -hmm. um, and I was compensated for it. So that's, you know, that was fine. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I knew there was going to be another phase. I just didn't know what it was. So we ended up buying the old craft juice plant out on I-4. Mm -hmm. And uh, my partner, Robert, and I bought it together. And uh, Which is now, what is that now? Well, it's, it's, it's a big industrial development. That really started yeah. me into industrial development. But that's not what I bought it for. There was a uh, three and a half million gallon stainless steel tank farm for store and frozen concentrate orange juice. <laughs> Say that in one sentence. Really wow. Yeah. Still relevant to your experience. Yeah, so, too. And it's a pure asset play. You know, that asset was probably to reproduce. It was $10 million. I bought it for a fraction of that and got, and basically got all the land for free. Wow. And, and so, um, we knew that there was an opportunity for us to store orange juice for certain people. I knew all the orange juice people in the state. Mm -hmm. And I said, they trust me. And so, you know, I ended up hiring a couple of people that could run that for me. And uh, we started storing orange juice for people. So that was, that was a company called Lakeland Cold Storage. Um, we tore that tank farm down a year or so ago. It ran its course. We, we ran that for probably 10, 15 years. Um, the, the market changed and we decided it was time to get out of that business, uh, mainly because uh, one of the employees that um, I'd hired decided to retire and uh, didn't really want to try it anymore. And I thought that the market had run its course and it was time to be done with that. Um, but as we were going through that, uh, talked to various people, some of the local people about, you know, doing something with building warehouse and just decided, you know, I knew how to build buildings. So I'll build yeah. a warehouse and see how it goes. Uh, everybody told me that, uh, probably didn't know what I was doing and I shouldn't be doing it. Mostly the people that I was competing against. Um, Leased the that first building sense. to Pepsi, and uh, nobody's told me since that I don't know what I'm doing. Wow. So we're probably uh, we're going to end up uh, at the end of this year with a little over 3 million square feet of industrial warehouse that we're a part of, and, uh, and uh, we'll keep going. 
Wow. That's kind of turned in into its own little business. And, and it's fun for me because I really, I like to make things. I like to build things. And is that Aspire Properties? Yes, that's our, that's okay. what we call it. Yeah. Okay. So that's how you jumped into the development side is when you're asking yourself, what stage is next? You jumped into uh, buying that citrus so I jumped into the, I bought the, the citrus, the juice tank farm. So juice that was a business. Mm-hmm. And then I had a, an engineer come along to me a couple of years later and said he wanted to start a medical packaging company. Mm. Was I interested? And so I listened to him and I said, well, this is very similar to what I got out of in the flavor business. Huh. And uh, so I said, yes. So we started, a, we started something, um, still exists today. That's our packaging company. That gentleman is no longer involved with us. Um, but, uh, there's a whole bunch of other people that are, what are some other projects that you've gotten your hands into over the past 15 years now? Well, we, we built and sold another flavor company in the same, in that period, Robert and I did that and, uh, got involved in the bank, you know, yep, I, on the board of bank of central Florida. Yeah. I, I'd convinced Paul Norris, a good friend of mine. I'd convinced him to come to the dark world of entrepreneurism <laughs> uh, to jump out of the banking world. Cause, cause I told him, I said, look around, you know, you're a smart guy. You, you can, you can do something different with your life. And, and for years he just ignored me. And finally, one day I said, this is the last time I'm going to ask. Mm-hmm. And so he finally agreed to, to, to take the chance and, and, you know, grab my hand and jump off the cliff. And, yeah. uh, and really the, the, what, what our thinking was is, there's a lot of entrepreneurs around Lakeland, you know, small business owners, and they're probably getting to the point where they're ready to sell their business. And one of those we should be able to find and buy and uh, do something with it. That was really what we were planning to do. We're not planning to go into banking and um, couldn't really find anything um, that we were willing to buy. And I think Paul was close to getting frustrated when this whole banking thing came, came along. And, and that yeah. was, that was, where he needed to go. And, and I've been so happy to be part of it. You know, it's, it's been a great experience. Um, and then from there, you know, just gotten involved in, uh, very much involved in catapult, you know, it was very, this five years of my life to, to get this place up and running. Yeah. But there again, it was very small start, you know, I gave him some space in the basement of bank of America and that's kind of where catapult was born. And, and mm-hmm. from there we ended up with this. So it's, it's, um, I like to do little steps, try things, figure out if I like them, and then, then we can see if they can grow. So. Yeah. What skill sets would you say that you, you had mentioned in the pre-interview a little bit about you want to contribute to things you feel like you can add value to, um, and that keeps you focused. So what were the main things you saw yourself adding value to, to decide I'm going to jump in with the LEDC and Catapult and I'm going to jump into the bank board? Yeah, I usually say no to, to boards who don't, aren't looking to make changes or to, to do anything different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and that's not because they're doing anything wrong. It's just yeah. fit my skill set. Right. You know, I, I, I like to do things. I like to make things change. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to be part of something that's growing and vibrant and, mm-hmm. um, not to say that if you're stagnant, you're not vibrant. It's just, it's not my thing, Yeah, you know, to sit on a board with 30 people and let's just talk about the same thing every month. I, I don't, I got other things I'd rather do. Yeah. It, I, I think that's a passion of entrepreneurs in itself is just being a part of growth yeah. and ideas and really in settings where, Either a board has just gotten so stagnant that they're ready for change or 
in new ideas. A lot of entrepreneurs jump into the new ideas because that's the attraction. It is fun and it's exciting and they can also have that room and freedom to make it what they want. Yeah. So there's a lot of decision-making that they get to take ownership of. That's what I foresee. It at takes least. all kinds to, you know, I mean, every entity is different and every, you know, just everything kind of has its own life. I, mm-hmm. I do believe that a lot of things have a life and, and sometimes you just need to let them go. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody shares that opinion. Um, mm-hmm. So that's fine. Um, yeah. You know, I think that, uh, Lots of opportunities out there and lots of people can use my time, talent, and treasure. Um, you know, I was involved with Todd Bayless at QGIV mm-hmm. as an investor and and I used to talk to Todd. Um, I'm like, Todd, I don't understand what you do. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I want to be here to help you, but I don't understand it. And yeah. and so while it was fun, I mean, Todd's a great, got great entrepreneur. He did, he, I did very well as an investment, but I, I didn't really enjoy, I enjoyed being with him. Mm-hmm. I didn't really enjoy the, the, I didn't feel like I added any value to him other than money. Right. And he didn't, you know, that was something that he needed. Um, so I, I kind of shy away from things that I don't feel like I can understand the business mm-hmm. and participate in just because I, this stage of my life, I want to, I want to have fun and, and yeah. you know, I want to feel like I, I participated and did something. Yeah. Know, and we're part of it. Absolutely. I am going to ask you one of these questions I've got here. So when seeking investment opportunities, what is your approach to ensure the potential return matches the risk and investment? That's a, that's a hard question to answer. I know. <laughs> it is a hard question. That's why I was going to read it because I was like, that, this can be deep. Do you want me to read it one more time? Yeah, read it one more time. When seeking investment opportunities, what is your approach to ensure the potential return matches the risk and the investment? Well, I guess, first of all, you have to make sure that you have to determine, is this a donation or an investment? That's the great point. All right. So I, I and I'm not talking about charitable donations. There, right. there, there are some things that I invest in, which I'm pretty confident um, it's a donation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a good testing ground for entrepreneurs mm-hmm. because I think if you give them a little bit of a donation, you know, obviously not telling them it's a donation. Right. But if you're giving them a little bit of a donation, you can see what they do mm-hmm. and how they act with it. Yeah. And that's going to lay the groundwork for what they might do in the future if you actually move that from a donation to an investment. Mm-hmm. From an investment, I adamantly believe in every soul of my being, I do not want to lose money. (laughs) That's my number one overriding goal. You want to make profit. Well, I'd like to at least get my money back. I'd like to at least have a path to where I feel like I can get my money back. Yeah, absolutely. um, If this doesn't work out. Now that's not always possible, but when I, when somebody comes to me and I'm looking at something, I'm like, what is the likelihood that I'm just going to lose all my, all this investment? And how do you evaluate that decision? Is it, it, does it come a lot? It sounds like it comes a lot down to the person and what you know about them. Because if you know it's a donation, you're kind of, you're somewhat taking a risk and saying, I'm not sure if they're there yet, but I like the sound of what they're doing, but I know I'm probably not going to get my money back versus this is an investment and I'm going to hold this person accountable. And I know them enough to be able to hold them accountable and invest in that idea. Yeah, I would definitely hold them accountable. 
Um, and I, I would also look at the business and, and say, is this something without this person that I can horsepower it through? Interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, I think I've, I've proven as much as anybody you can, business is business. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've, I'm now a fifth or sixth career, you know, yeah. um, been successful in, in pretty much everything. So a good business person can, can roll with different industries and different product types and things. So I feel pretty confident, you know, in, in my skill set to do that and to be able to go identify the right people if I don't have the right people on the bus. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things I'd look at is, is this something that this person fails, can I take whatever they created and mm-hmm. turn it into something? And so, for instance, in our packaging business, that's exactly what I did. Um, you know, he, the, the, the guy that was his original idea, he had every chance to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, he just couldn't make it happen. And, and so we stepped in, brought in some different partners, brought in some different people, and, mm-hmm. and it's a thriving business now with 200 employees. So Yeah. That must have been a hard decision at that time. By the time you get to that decision, it's pretty easy. Yeah, because all of the proof has been yeah. laid pretty much. Goes back to that trust thing we talked about. There's yeah. two sides of trust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's that's building relationships. Yeah. Uh let me ask, what rules or principles do you follow to ensure you stay in your lane with new investments you pursue? Now, we kind of already talked about this, yeah. staying in the lane. So if you, do you have anything else to add to that? Well, obviously, I'm on camera, so I have lots of gray hair. <laughs> lots <laughs> of wisdom. Huh? Every one of those gray hairs, there's a story. So yeah, <laughs> that's a that pretty good roadmap. I, I, the number one thing that I follow right now is like I, I will walk away from a deal. I get a gut feeling about it. And when I start to not be able to sleep at night, I'm done. That's it. Hmm. When I start to get that, 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 that feeling in my gut that something's not right, mm-hmm. I, 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 100%, I listen to that every time. Yeah. And it's not always right, but for me, it's not right. Yeah. And, and that, 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 the, the 56 years of wisdom is, is I, I know when it's not right for me and I just need to walk away. Yeah. And there's a lesson I hear you hear behind what you're saying too, is there might be opportunities that are right for others to invest in. It's 100%. just not right for you. 100%. So not saying 100%. that it's a lost opportunity on your end and, and still knowing who you are as a person yeah. to say, I don't think I need to invest in that. That's not who I am, but it is a great opportunity. Yeah. Because some people have a hard time turning away from opportunities as well. And local business owners have to discern that. Is this a good opportunity for my business to grow? Or is this an opportunity that's going to take more resources than I can give? At at the end of the day, the only person I'm accountable to really is me. And Mm so I just don't want to do anything that I don't want to do. And and that doesn't mean that because I don't invest, it's a bad deal. You know, it just means it wasn't. The right one. Wasn't the right one for me. Yeah. Didn't like my rockets. Yeah. Well, it also, and going back to how you said you weren't, you didn't plan to be an entrepreneur, but there were a lot of key events in your life over time that it just happened to be that way. And sometimes I think that timing does have a lot to do with the decisions that we make and that shape our life. 
It doesn't just always, it's not always intentional, I should say. Not the grand, the grand plan. So it, I, I like the, the podcast by Guy Raz, How I Built This. And yeah, I've heard of it. They're great. And he always asked, you know, how much of your, what you did was skill, how much was luck. And, you know, and yeah. it's always, it's <laughs> always neat question. to listen to that. But, you know, there is a lot of being in the right place at the right time, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, it is. It act- absolutely is. So another question I have for you, and we've got a few more questions today. So how important has your daily routine played in your success and how you structure your day for success? This is a little bit more in the daily aspect. Yeah. Are you a pretty structured individual or are you very much go with the flow? I am pretty structured. My kids will tell you I'm way more structured the older I get. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that I'm an, I'm a runner. I get up every morning and I, run to the gym. Mm-hmm. I mean, I run around the lake. Mm-hmm. That's part of my life. Yeah. And a few mornings a week, um, I go to the gym with a couple of buddies that, uh, they were just mentioning on Tuesday, we've been working out together longer than the average American has been married. Oh, wow. You know, I think it's wow. been, been going on 18 years, you know, two of us and, That's and then great. maybe 15 years, three of us have been working out together. So yeah. yes, we're, I'm, I've have a schedule. I like to do that. Um, that's accountability too. It's, it's been important for me just for my mental health Yeah. and, and my best thinking time, my best ideas, all my problem solving is running around that stupid lake. Yeah. You, that's, that's when my brain is clear. I don't listen to music. I, I just yeah. run with my thoughts and, and that's a really great time of the day to kind of figure out what my day is going to look like. And I love this topic. I I'm passionate about this too, because they say that in Harvard Business Review, I believe there was an article that was referring to needing to make sure the more decisions that you make, the more time you have to think. Uh, Just because you can just get so burdened with the amount of decisions that you need to make, start worrying about it. And there has to be space in your head for you to just be able to rest and times where you are able to just think about it without distractions. And maybe to just block it out of your head. Would you say that that has also helped to you being able to have maybe more of a work-life balance? And have you found that more as you've gotten older? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, I really, I started the running, not because I was a runner, but after my son was born, I realized just as a, especially traveling, you don't have any time for yourself. Yeah. The only time that I could have for myself was what I'd get up at. 5.30 in the morning and go run the lake and then come Mm -hmm. back. And then everybody was getting up and starting their day. And it was great because I could be there when they were starting their day, but I'd already had my exercise in. I had my, my, my time to think. And so, um, that was a game changer for me. Yeah. And I haven't varied from that, you know, for 27 years. It's great. It's good. As long as my knees hold out. (laughs) Well, then you can switch to cycling, right? I don't know. (laughs) Pick up a new hobby. You're an entrepreneur. I'm doing that. I don't think I'm going to do that. Oh, no. You broke your collarbone? Yeah. Oh, okay. Whatever the handlebars, you know. No, that doesn't sound good. Don't. Well, swimming. Maybe swimming. Swimming. Can't hurt myself. Uh, Okay. How important has continued learning been in your success? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I, I love to learn. 
Yeah, podcasts, books. Are you a reader? Are you a listener? I'm a less of a reader, more of a listener. Um, but I just, my whole life has been achieving things and moving on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I passed my contractor's license when I was in high school. I passed the CPA. Uh, I'm not a CPA. I'm not a contractor. Right. Uh, I'm a pilot, but I'm not doing that anymore. It's just, I just like to continue to learn. So for me, that's just, it's something that's keeping yeah. my mind going and it kind of shows me different opportunities too that, you know, you wouldn't have had otherwise meet different people. So. Yeah. I think that's one when I observe the personalities or traits of an entrepreneur, that is, that tends to be one that I see very much many of them have in common is just wanting to learn. I mean, it's a good practice overall, just as an individual to always be curious. Um, but there's a tenacity that entrepreneurs have about needing to, to seek knowledge, needing to understand, and a lot of value that comes back around in their career uh, from their desire to learn. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when I started building industrial buildings, I drove around for two years looking yeah. <laughs> at what people were building. Go, okay, that makes sense. That doesn't, How you know, does this building lease before that one? Why is mm -hmm. that? You know, same mm -hmm. with parking garages. Okay. What, what, what do we like about this one? What do I don't like about this one? Yeah. You know, so it's just, it's just something if you're going to do something you don't know, go learn a little bit. I mean, Did you get anybody who's like, who's this guy outside of our building? <laughs> drive around in my truck. Nobody cares. Yeah. I would assume they wouldn't. Uh, if you could see anyone else on the podcast, this is the last question, by the way. Okay. If you could see anybody else on this podcast, who would it be? Anybody in the world. Anybody in the world? Anybody in the world. Oh my! God. And you can't say Jimmy Buffett because the do last guy to, said do that. Do I get to interview him or? <laughs> we can negotiate terms. <laughs> I'd like to say Joe Biden because I'd like to hear what that guy has to say. <laughs> I'd like to ask him some questions, but that would be, that'd sure. be disingenuous if I said that. <laughs> Somebody who's really inspired you, maybe a little bit more of a definition to that. Like I said, you can't say Jimmy Buffett because no, the last it, guy. Said it, that. it would have to be Warren Buffett. Really? Oh yeah. Well, we were, maybe we can just ask and see. <laughs> I don't think you'll let me interview him, but that would be pretty neat. Well, you think about somebody who's that age that's still that coherent day to day, and you know, I mean, that's pretty impressive. There's just so much knowledge there. I mean, you think about how much knowledge someone like that can impart. And and why? What what kind of knowledge do you admire that he's displayed to you? Well, he's he's a long term investor. You know, mm -hmm. a friend of mine told me that he met somebody that uh, said they regretted everything they ever sold. Yeah. And and I think that's that's I, I have some of that. Yeah. You know, I, I look back at Florida flavors and say, what if I just kept it and kept growing? What would it be today? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that always nag at me. Just to wonder, should I just stayed there and just grown that and what mm. I knew and spent my career doing that? You know, you never know that answer. Yeah. You know, but. Yeah, I think that's where um, it, it might take away today from a lot of what we've talked about is your short term decisions matter long term and understanding where you focus, who you trust uh, and how you 
sometimes it's just being in the right place at the right time. All of those things are really important to to determine the steps that you take and where you're at in your future. Well, I think being in the right places at at the right time works if you have the right skill set leading up to that. Mm. You know, I mean, if you, if I had been, you know, in Jeff Zuckerberg's place, Mm -hmm. I don't think I could have done Facebook. I'm not a programmer. You know, I didn't have that skill set. Yeah. So even though, you know, I may have been there, I didn't have the necessary pieces to, to make that happen. So. Yeah. You know, and so there's some of you have to have the skill set to lead you up to being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. To be able to take advantage of and it. And I translate that in my head as knowing who you are, knowing what you have to offer. Because if you're in the right in the right place at the right time and you know what you have to offer in those situations and know your boundaries, it only helps you to say no to the things that you don't need to take on and feel yeah. pressured to take on at times. I think that, I think that's true. And I think that, you know, that old adage of money doesn't buy happiness is true. Yeah. You know, that there's, there's a little bit of, you know, being able to pay your rent is one level of happiness mm-hmm. when your credit card bill comes in and you can pay it off every month and not worry about it. That's a whole different, another level of happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, everything above that, I'm not sure it means a lot. Yeah. You know, we're keeping score at that point. Yeah. So, you know, if you're doing something and you're making all this money, but you're not enjoying it and you're not happy, what are you doing it for? Yeah. It's eventually, you know, you're going to get to the point where you go, the money's not, you know, parts of the Caribbean. All the the gold in the world is not satisfying my lust is a great line because it's true. It's not. You know, it's not you got to do something to. that makes your being happy and your family happy. And then the money is just uh, absolutely it's fluid. It's here one day and gone the next. Yeah, huh? for sure. <laughs> well, I would like to thank you very much. We've covered from the very beginning of where you started, maybe not from, you know, being born, but your teenage years with your career life yeah. too. Really coming full circle and using the experience in so many, many different areas of your life to be the entrepreneur you are today. And I hope that our listeners got value out of hearing a lot of the experience that you've had today. And uh, we just really appreciate you being part of the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on the Local Business Owners Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the interview. If you have someone that you want to nominate or you'd like to hear on the show, reach out and connect. We'll see you next time.